Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Monday, April 5th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Busting some myths and sharing some doctor-backed advice on COVID vaccine side effects. The history of cigarette cards and how they played an important role in World War II. And how narwhal tusks act as a kind of history book, but the most recent chapters are a bit alarming. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Over 60 million people in the U.S. are now fully vaccinated, closing in soon on 20% of the population. So it's possible you've already been vaccinated, or at least half-sinated. But on the off chance that you aren't, or the near certainty that you've at least got someone in your life who isn't yet, I thought I would share some pretty useful tips and myth-busting that I found for reducing discomfort from likely side effects. For whatever reason, the COVID vaccines all seem to have pretty gnarly side effects for a lot of people, but the kinds of reactions people are having are not unique to the COVID vaccines. They're the same side effects that some people experience from all kinds of vaccines. Personally, I always get a pretty sore lump at the injection site for several days after any vaccine, and most people will tell you how bad the tetanus shot is, younger folks know the pain of the HPV vaccine, It may seem like the side effects are more extreme or more common with COVID because the entire world is getting it at the same time, so we're all hyper-aware of it and its side effects. Now, in general, some kind of discomfort or other symptoms after a vaccine is a sign that it's working. That's your immune system mounting a response. The World Health Organization explains of the COVID vaccine, quote, Your immune system is instructing your body to react in certain ways. It increases blood flow so more immune cells can circulate, and it raises your body temperature in order to kill the virus, end quote. But if you don't have side effects, that doesn't mean it's not working, just that your immune system responds in different ways. Now that said, over 80% of study participants experienced some kind of side effect from the vaccine, usually just a sore arm or some fatigue, but still something. So if you end up being one of those people, here are a few things to keep in mind. First, since you've been hearing all this talk of sore arms and low-grade fevers, you may be tempted to take something, like ibuprofen or Tylenol, ahead of your appointment to try to get ahead of the symptoms. The CDC does not recommend this. Try to avoid any over-the-counter medications before your shot because they don't know yet how mixing these medications with the vaccines will affect the efficacy. Now, other folks have been recommending drinking a lot of water and getting plenty of electrolytes before the shots. Now, while it couldn't hurt because being properly hydrated is always good, Dr. Joel Kammeyer, an infectious disease specialist and assistant professor at the University of Toledo College of Medicine and Life Sciences, told Lifehacker that you shouldn't bet on this having a noticeable effect. Like, go ahead and make sure you're well hydrated. You definitely don't want to be dehydrated. But don't think that chugging some water or Pedialyte is going to magically make you side effect free. Now, one slight caveat, the CDC does recommend you try to have a snack or drink some water shortly before the shot to avoid fainting. But again, that is not a unique COVID vaccine thing. If you have a tendency towards fainting after vaccines, or maybe just have some anxiety about this particular situation that may cause lightheadedness, just make sure you've been eating and hydrating well that day. Fainting is not super common. It's not unique to the COVID vaccine. And having a protein bar before your shot is not a silver bullet. 
Now, not that most people have a lot of choice when it comes to when they're getting their shot, but on the off chance that you do, some things to keep in mind. Quoting Lifehacker, Dr. Kammeyer says that nothing would be gained by scheduling your vaccine appointment at a certain time of day in attempt to prepare for or lessen the side effects. We know from the original clinical trials for the vaccines that many side effects occur within 24 hours, but others may not occur for as long as a week, he explains. End quote. Now, that said, many healthcare workers intentionally scheduled their shots before a day off, and if there's any way that you can follow suit, your future self might thank you for it. Dr. Keith Armitage, an infectious disease specialist at the University Hospitals in Cleveland, says that about a third of people get a fever after their second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. And, you know, it's no fun trying to work with a fever. If you do get a fever, treat it as you would any other fever. Dress lightly and stay hydrated, although again, doctors say that being preemptively extra hydrated ahead of the shot would not prevent a fever from happening. The other side effect that has led people to want to opt out of work the next day is fatigue. Again, doctors say to just treat that as you usually would. If you're a napper, nap. If you prefer to power through your day, do that. Powering through as opposed to resting won't make the vaccine less effective or anything like that. And then there's the dreaded arm pain. Anecdotally, it seems like people have been getting worse soreness than they usually do from other vaccines or experiencing this for the first time if they never have before. Although, again, that could just be the weird bias of everyone getting it and talking about it so much. Regardless, if you end up experiencing some pain or soreness at the injection site, the CDC recommends applying a cold compress, like a cool, wet washcloth, and making sure to keep moving your arm. Activity does help. Now, you may hear some people recommend massaging at the injection site, as is sometimes recommended for other vaccines. Dr. Kammeyer weighed in on that, saying, quote, There are no official recommendations regarding massaging the injection site to reduce arm pain. This was not studied in the vaccine trials, but is very unlikely that massaging the injection site would make a difference to the efficacy of the vaccine. Moving the arm frequently after receiving the injection may be more helpful than massage, but massage is unlikely to cause harm. End quote. And if you find a lump not just at the injection site but on your neck or near your armpit, don't freak out. These are most likely swollen lymph nodes and just another sign of your body responding to the vaccine, most likely in the form of producing antibodies. Quoting Lifehacker, The CDC reports that 11.6% of vaccine recipients experienced swollen lymph nodes after their first COVID vaccine dose and 16% after their second, noting that in most cases, swelling appeared between two and four days after vaccination. Physicians have observed that the lumps form on the same side of the body where a person received their shot. End quote. Now, that said, if the lumps are on the other side of your body or persist after a few days or alarm you for any other reason, go talk to your doctor. Don't just listen to a guy on a podcast quoting the CDC. There are a few other common side effects like diarrhea, chills, muscle aches, and for sure, headaches. For any side effects, is it okay to take over-the-counter medication? I mentioned that you shouldn't before your appointment, but is it okay to do so to treat side effects afterwards? So long as they don't interfere with any other medications you're on, the CDC has given the all-clear to take ibuprofen, acetaminophen, aspirin, or antihistamines to treat side effects. Now, some doctors and healthcare professionals at vaccine sites have said to only take Tylenol. 
And you might have seen some folks warning against taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, which includes ibuprofen and Advil. That claim was based on one small study in mice that found NSAIDs used for treating COVID-19 might dampen the production of protective antibodies. But again, it was a small study and only tested so far in mice. I personally wouldn't put too much stock into it, but again, I am not a doctor. I just wanted to give you a source of the information so that you can form your own opinion. And on that note, check the links in the show notes for more on all of this. And again, talk to your doctor, not me, if you're concerned about any side effects. So depending on your age or if you're a collector of some sort, this may not be news to you, but it's an interesting little ripple in history. Before cereal box prizes and Happy Meals, you could get a little treat in your box of cigarettes. Starting in the mid-19th century, first in America and quickly catching on in the UK, cigarette companies would include decorated cards in the cigarette packets, featuring all manner of subjects, ships, historical figures, horses, sports players, and much more. Their origin is in blank stiffeners that were put into paper packets by American cigarette companies to prevent the cigarettes from getting bent. Of course, it didn't take long for them to realize that they could print images on the cards for marketing purposes. The cards looked a lot like baseball cards, with an image of some sort on the front and some text on the back. Companies would often run numbered series of different card sets so that people would want to collect them and therefore buy loyally from that company. American Antiquities notes that the cards were also popular due to the expense of books at the time. So these cards, which often had lots of interesting information on various topics, not to mention hard-to-come-by printed illustrations, something even newspapers didn't have in abundance back then, were a way of spreading cultural knowledge to the masses, and were sometimes referred to as the working man's encyclopedia. Occasionally, the cards took on the role of public service announcements, as I learned about this morning in writer Alex Coe's newsletter, Study Mary Kill. Quote, In the early days of COVID, when the American government offered its citizens little trustworthy guidance, I thought about air raid precautions. During World War II, W.D. and H.O. Willis, the first U.K. company to mass-produce cigarettes, teamed up with the British government to produce 50 cards with emergency instructions that ranged from how to handle protective gear to what to do during a balloon barrage to how to outfit a bomb shelter, end quote. Co-shared a bunch of images of those cigarette cards and many others reflecting cultural opinions and norms of the time that you can scroll through at the link in the show notes. As well-loved as these cards were, and as useful as they were during wartime, they were deemed an inessential use of supplies in the UK during the First World War and part of the Second World War. And then, quoting again from Co, By the 1950s, studies in America and the UK established a link between smoking and the high risk of death from lung cancer and other diseases. Within a decade, the production of cigarette cards ceased. End quote. Still, with thousands of different sets issued by over 300 cigarette manufacturers at their height in the early 20th century, there are tons held in library and museum collections, and even a name for the act of collecting them, cartifoli. Maybe one day we'll look back on all the different ways vape juice was advertised and think it's just as worthy of highbrow collection. (laughs) Probably not, and that's also probably as it should be. 
We may not know why narwhals have their trademark singular tusk, but we do now know that they're changing, and that those changes are not a good sign for our environment. So narwhals can live to around 50 years old, and the tusks on male narwhals, which grow throughout their lifetime, can be red kind of like the rings of a tree. Jean-Pierre Desforges, a wildlife toxicologist from McGill University and one of the lead authors on a new study published last month in the journal Current Biology, says this is exceptionally useful because, quote, instead of doing 40 years of work to get 40 years of data, you can, in one year of work, get narwhal tusks and go back 50 years in time, end quote. So DeForge and the rest of the team analyzed 10 tusks collected from animals in northwest Greenland, finding, quote, Between 1962 and 2000, the mercury in the tusks increased by an average of 0.3% a year. But between 2000 and 2010, it increased by 1.9% per year. This is consistent with increased mercury discovered in the bodies of other top predators in several regions across the Arctic, possibly due to air pollution blowing in from the south. The scientists are also finding evidence in the tusks that the narwhal's diet is changing, from consuming species associated with sea ice to eating more open ocean species. This corresponds to a dramatic decline in Arctic sea ice since the year 1990. End quote. So the mercury increase is troubling because while it's normal for them to accumulate a bit from their food sources over time, narwhals can't expel mercury as effectively as other species like polar bears. It just adds up and adds up more and more over time, and if it gets to a high enough level, it could have negative consequences on reproduction or cognition. Now, the other finding about the change in their diet, which maps onto the decline in Arctic sea ice, is obviously troubling in terms of the Arctic warming at an alarming rate, twice as fast as the rest of the planet, but why is it such a big deal if the narwhals are eating a different diet so long as they're still eating? Well, DeForge explains, quoting Ars Technica, Arctic species are more nutritious, energy-wise, says DeForge. To survive the cold, fish need to pack on fat, which means more calories for the predators that feed on them, like narwhals. If they're shifting prey to less Arctic species, that could be having an effect on their energy level intakes, DeForge adds. Whether that is true is yet to be seen, but it's certainly the big question that we need to start asking ourselves, end quote. So in other words, they're not getting as nutritious or calorie-rich food from the open ocean fish as they were when their diet was primarily sea ice species. That, combined with concerns about mercury levels rising, could spell bad outcomes for the narwhals. And this 40-year history gives good evidence to the reshuffling of the ecosystem overall in and near the Arctic. Thanks to the unique nature of their tusks, we're able to get an expansive look at how climate change is affecting narwhals and start guessing at what some of those consequences may turn out to be in the future. But it's not just narwhals who will be affected. It's every species being reshuffled by the rapidly warming region, and most of them will most likely face similar or worse outcomes, but don't have the convenient history-bearing tusks to help give us some extra insight. Though, as far as narwhals go, Ars Technica points out that we could go even further back in their history than the 40 years that this recent study looked at. Many museum collections around the world have narwhal tusks that are over 100 years old. So maybe we can't quite predict the future, but we can go even deeper into the past to help us get a sense of what may be to come.
Ending today with a somber announcement. The classic 1996 Space Jam website, long admired for its refusal to update with the times, has finally been updated. It's been replaced with a completely modern website advertising for the new LeBron James reboot, Space Jam A New Legacy. The trailer for the new movie dropped last week, and I mean, I, I am pretty excited about it, but it also just looks like Warner Brothers flexing on all the properties they've acquired since 1996 in a real Ready Player One type of way. Thankfully, they're self-aware enough to know that the internet would have been outraged if they actually got rid of the original Space Jam site, so now, if you go to SpaceJam.com, you'll see the new movie site, and after you click out of the trailer, you can click on the original logo in the upper right-hand corner to be taken back to the original site in all of its 90s glory. So, it's not really gone. And I am grateful for that. But that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.